Ladies and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have gone all the way in the culture from Madonna singing Papa Don't Preach into the churches and the churches are saying preachers don't preach. The time will come when they will have itching ears and they will turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables myths. But Paul gives a word concerning apostasy and with a note of urgency he says to the young preacher, Preach the word! That's what God wants the preacher to do in this day. Second Timothy chapter number 3 tonight. Second Timothy chapter number 3. I appreciate the goodness of the Lord. And I'm glad for how God provides for us. Amen. I got over here Saturday evening. I appreciate Brother Mark Pratt being here tonight. Good friend of mine. I got over here Saturday evening with my wife and kids. And we unloaded and just going to put everything in the motel. And I reached for my suit and I worked one. <laughs> I forgot it over North Carolina. I said, well, honey, get in the bed. Y'all get your good night's sleep. And I'll go back over there and get it. She said, oh, don't do that. So I happened to think about Brother Mark. And so I called him up, and uh, he loaned me out a suit. Amen. And I appreciate that. You know, they say something happens to you after you get past 40, uh, but I can't remember what it is. So. <laughs> Something about the memory or something like that, I don't know. Uh, but I'm glad for friends, amen. Thank God for His children, the privilege to be in the house of God and worship Him together. Let's stand tonight we'll reverence God's Word. Verse 1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, bolstered, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep in the houses, and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jamborees withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known thy doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, in all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, unto all good works. Let's bow our heads and hearts in another word of prayer. 
Lord, we bless you tonight for the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you that through that blood we have your righteousness. And Lord, you've given us a right to the throne of grace to bear our burdens before you. Lord, we plead the blood of Jesus over this service tonight. We ask you, dear God, to minister this word. May you take it severally, divide it as you will. Lord, give each one that portion that we need for this hour. For those sitting here on the outside looking in, Lord, I pray tonight they get a little glimpse of the sweet grace of God. And may they come with a longing heart to know you as Lord and Savior. For your people, I ask you, God, to revive us, instruct us, help us. Lord, revive that backslider, encourage that struggling saint. Lord, feed the sheep of God tonight. Lord, I do pray for our nation. God, we're in such a bad, bad shape. And I ask you, God, to get a hold of America. One more time, God, may you outpour your spirit in the fires of revival. Begin it, even here tonight, in my heart, in the heart of this congregation. Lord, may it sweep through Knoxville, Tennessee, and across this country to the glory of God. Have your way now. We'll praise you and thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're looking in these days at the thought of the changing of the guard. Second Timothy is written to young Timothy by the aged Apostle Paul. And in the last chapter, he says, I have fought a good fight. I've run my race. I have finished my course. But Timothy, I want to add some things to you and, and some encouragements to you as you are next in line to take the gospel torch and run with it. You're the next soldier on the wall to stand there and to be faithful for your term of duty. The Bible talks about David who served his generation. And after he served his generation, the Lord took him off. In these 26 years of preaching, I've seen God take home a lot of his older preachers, men of, of great notoriety, men that have made a mark across this nation. And in these past few years, I felt a heavier burden on my shoulders than ever before, realizing that there's a generation that has faithfully served God before us, and now the ball's in our court, the torch is in our hand. Yea, we're to be the faithful soldiers on the wall. And as God inspired Paul to write Timothy this uh, book, I believe that he's encouraging him with various things to help him be able to be the faithful soldier uh, with the warfare that's at hand for him. And I pray that we might glean these things for our own heart. Now in chapter number one, we looked and saw the Christian's inheritance. Timothy was reminded that this faith didn't start with him, that it was in his mama that it was in his grandma. Yeah, even in the Apostle Paul. Paul said it didn't start with me. He said, I'm serving the God of my forefathers. He's the God that has been around for all ages. And we have passed to us tonight an inheritance, a heritage in the things of God. It blessed me yesterday evening as several of you came up and said, uh, boy, I thank God you're talking about that grandma, that grandpa, that mama. Uh, I've got all that. I've got a Christian heritage. And I don't want to let that heritage down. I want to uh, give that to my children and raise them in a Christian environment and in a Christian home. And, and part of the changing of the guard brings that parent responsibility down to our lives to uh, raise our children up in nurture and in admonition of the Lord. Amen. We looked on last night in chapter number 2 and some classic illustrations. 
It's as though God said, I want to make it real plain what it means to be a Christian. And Timothy said, you're going to be uh, the next one to carry the torch, to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. I want to give you nine illustrations of what it means to be a believer. And everywhere you turn, just about every day, you'll see these various things to remind you of how to be a Christian and what God demands of your life. Well, as we come to chapter number three... Uh, it seems like the tone of the apostle changes. He's back off the field trip now, and he's in the classroom of doctrine. And he says, Timothy, I want to tell you something, son. It's going to get rougher. It's going to get harder. Evil men, seducers, are going to wax worse and worse. And he gives him an entire chapter of some cautioning insights. He lets him know what he's going to have to face. Son, I've been a soldier. I've fought the fight, and there's been many a battle. Now, you're going to have to fight the fight, and let me tell you some of the fight that you're going to have in the last days, and some of the foes that you are going to have to face. In verse number one, he said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now, that word perilous, it, it means several things. It means, first of all, to reduce the strength. He said, in those last days, there's going to be a sapping, a pulling away of your strength. It also means difficult days. As a believer, he said, you're going to face some very difficult and some very hard times. The word literally means dangerous. It means fierce and ferocious. He said, it may cost you your very life to be a Christian, Timothy. And you may give more than just a job or a paycheck for the cause of Christ. It may cause you the fact that you may become a martyr in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. But even so, Timothy, stay faithful. Stay true. Though the perilous times come, the grace of God will match the times. A lot of folk are afraid to have children in these days. They say, preacher, it's such a wicked hour and such an ungodly hour. But I look back in the Exodus, I see where they're killing the baby boys, and uh, they're trying to keep Israel in slavery. And yet in those days, God raised up Moses, God raised up Aaron, God raised up Miriam, Jacobed, Nahum, Ram. They weren't afraid to have children. They said, God, if you let us bring them into this world, we just believe that your grace will match the hard times. Though I believe we're living in the closing hours of the times of the Gentile church, and I believe we're coming down to the sounding of the trumpet, God's people ought to still have children, and we ought to raise them in nurture and admonition of the Lord, and thank God God's going to raise up another generation that's just as tough as the times. The church is not going down. Thank God God's going to have a people. God's going to have some children that will stand steadfast in these days. Now, notice in verse number 2 through verse number 9, we see the enemies of the faith are the godless world. God gives us a description of what we're going to have to face. So, when we have to face it, we're not shocked. Amen. It is though we look around today and say, oh my goodness, well, what are we going to do? But then we read the Word of God, and God said, I told you, that's exactly how it's going to be. And boy, we think God becomes limited because of the ungodliness of this hour. But the Lord said, this hasn't caused my power to wane at all. It hasn't stopped me at all. I told you what's going to come, son. You just stay faithful. Keep your eyes on me. Notice this cataloging of the ungodliness of the last days. 
And there are many times in the Bible that God catalogs sin. People say, oh, I don't like that preacher. He just catalogs sin. Well, the Bible does. And where the Bible does, I believe we ought to. There are some things that are right, some things that are wrong. There are some things that need to be exposed. And God said, I want to warn you. I'm going to give you a long list of things that you're going to have to look out for and you're going to have to face in the last days. Notice what he said. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. He said one of the noted things in the last days would be selfishness. You seen any selfishness lately? Me, myself, and I. They don't care about anybody else or anything else. They live for one person. That is themselves. You let a little sacrifice go on in America. You let a few things have to be cut aside. And people will start hollering and screaming and yelling and crying out. And so they're the only person on the face of this planet. But sometimes we have to sacrifice for the good of others. And my friend, it requires a selfless spirit in this hour to be a Christian. Amen? But not only lovers of their own selves, but he said covetous. Fond of silver, fond of gold. They'll sell you out. They'll sell this country out. They'll sell the church out for a greenback dollar. Amen. I've never seen so many folk robbing God in all my born days. I go to churches where they have a good number on the roll and the offering a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars. And you know that in that congregation there's a whole lot more money than that coming through in a week's time. I go to a small church. Probably 30 folk there in that little country church. And the offering's around $1,500 or so every Sunday. And there's no rich people in that uh, place, but everybody ties. And when everybody's faithful to give, the offering's real good. And it appalls me when I go and see two or 300 on the board, the Sunday school board, and the offering's 12, 15. I know somebody is robbing God. It just don't add up. Amen. And that's all a part of covetousness. Is it not enough that God gives us seven days in the week? Is it not enough that God lets our heart beat and pump our blood through our body all the day long? Is it not enough that God gives us eyesight and vision that no uh, cameraman or video man can duplicate? Is it not enough that God gives us our daily bread and lets us have clothes to wear and a place to sleep, food on our table, an automobile to drive? Is it not enough that we have medicines and hospitals and doctors and all these things? And can we not spare a dime out of every dollar that God pours through our lives? He said, look out the last thing men would be covetous. Sell themselves for silver and for gold. And then he said, proud, boasters, braggers. You know any bragging going on? Do you hear anybody doing any bragging in this hour? Exalting themselves. One fellow said this. He said, you know, he said, I feel like I'm always right. He said, for one time, I remember I was wrong. And that's when I said I was wrong, but really I was right. Amen. Folk just bragging and boasting. Paul said to the Corinthians that were a bunch of braggers, that six out of the seven times puffed up, it's used to that Corinthian church. They were a puffed up crowd. But he said, what hast thou that thou didst not receive? The color of your eyes, the color of your hair, if it's natural or if you even got any hair, amen. The place where you were born at, 
the blessing of salvation, the talent God gave you, the voice He gave you, the abilities He God gave us all that. How can I brag of anything? It's God in His mercy that bestowed every good gift, every perfect gift coming down from God. How can we be a bunch of braggers? Amen. Then He talked about blasphemers, those, my friend, that are irreverent toward God. Any irreverence in our society today? The Bible says God's name is blasphemed continually every day. I worked as a mechanic. I worked construction work. But you know what? Whenever I came out of the public high school uh, to DuPont Corporation and worked for Daniel's Construction there, they all warned me how foul-mouthed and how wicked it was going to be. But you know, really, it was better on the construction job than it was in the local high school, the public school that I attend. The men weren't as irreverent and blasphemous as those bunch of kids were that I'd been going to school with. Say amen right there. Blasphemers, disobedience to parents. We've got a generation that's going to die young. You say, how do you know? The first promise uh, of the law is that if you'll obey your mom and daddy, God will make sure your days are long upon the earth. Around home, we've had a dozen teenage young men uh, killed this summer running motorcycles, wide open, riding them old uh, hot rod uh, uh, Tokyo Rose motorcycles, you know, and all of that, and uh, doing all kind of daredevil stuff, drinking and things like that, one after another, defying my friend telling mom and daddy you're crazy, you're nuts, man, it's got to live, and i got to show I'm, I'm a man that just splattered themselves on the highway somewhere. Young man, sauce your mom and daddy. Young lady, smart off to them. Be hateful to them. And you know what you're doing? You're taking a little uh, marker and you're etching out days of your life. Disobedient unto parents, God is going to see that you have a short life. You better guard that man. By the way, teenager, you may think your mom and daddy's dumb and old fogey. They're having your problems for you, Zipper and Amen. You say, well, they just don't know. It's amazing how when you have two or three kids here, oh, how smart mom and daddy become. Amen. You better respect them and love them. You may not understand them, but I'll guarantee you as you get older, you'll find out that they did know what they were talking about, and they're not quite as dumb as you give them credit for being. Say amen right there. Disobedient to parents, being unthankful. Thank God for that song. There's so much to thank Him for. Oh, my goodness. I'm thankful. Don't it make you sick to go to a steakhouse and see somebody come in there and just go to chopping on the food? Waiter, waiter. Uh, this steak's too rare. Uh, it's too done. It's potato too hot. It's too cold. Good night. You know, just whine and growl and grumble about everything. Can't satisfy. Right. I mean, absolutely can't. They're not thankful for one thing. Buy them a brand new shirt, they take it and wear it one time and throw it in the closet somewhere. I want it up. They don't give a rip. Uh, I had a friend whenever I was a boy. His mom and daddy gave him any and everything he wanted. His daddy gave him the old farm pickup truck. And his mama took her disability check and bought him some big wide wheels and tires, you know, to put up. And he put two sticks of firewood underneath the back springs and jacked it up. 
so he could spin those tires. We were down at Lake Summit one day, and he pulled out that stop sign, pulled it out first gear. Boy, he bulled blue smoke just a boiling out from under that truck. I looked over at him, and I said, Burn them off, Mama, buy you some more. You think you're thankful for that? Absolutely not. Hey, you know what honors God thankfulness? What can you give to God that owns everything? Just thank Him. Just bless Him. Say, Lord, I am totally grateful. And if you have an ungrateful heart, you feel like the world owes you a living and everybody owes you, you'll never be thankful for anything. But when we realize God don't owe us a thing, we ought to be burning in the pits of the devil's hell tonight. Then we'll get real thankful for any little breath of mercy and any little amount of grace that He bestows on us because we're undeserving of any of it. Amen. Then he goes on to talk about unholy. That's the opposite of holy. Had a campaign sometime back and we still pray. Well, when you drive between Asheville, North Carolina, and Hendersonville, North Carolina, it still looks like a we still pray rally. And it's a moving uh, it's a moving billboard. So many bumper stickers still on people's cars from that. But it wasn't long till that witchcraft outfit over in Asheville started printing bumper stickers, we still can't. We still cast spells. Uh, we still ride brooms and all of that, you know. The opposite of God, unholy. Amen. We've got a rock music world out there that's totally against God's people and the things of God, and they are opposite, holy. They are unholy. Amen. says without natural affection. Have you ever seen a generation that's without natural affection like our day? I was over at my dad's the other day, and I heard something like, Ooh, oh. I said, Mama, what in the world's wrong with that little old dog got some Jack Russell Terriers? She said, Oh, said we uh, got rid of two of her pups the other day and said she's missing them. Boy, I thought right there, even my dog misses his little baby. How in the world do mamas go to an abortion clinic? Let them suck their babies right out of their womb. Crack their heads and suck their brains out and throw still kicking in a garbage can somewhere. Grind them up in some old grinder and call it a woman's choice. Without natural affection. Somebody's about, what about this priest now? Not this one, not this two, but literally hundreds of cases of these pedophiles and then the hierarchy and the priesthood and the cardinal, the Pope, and all that crowd protecting them because they're all of that same flavor, amen, without natural affection. A man ought to love a woman, not another man. Amen. Woman ought to love her husband, not some other woman. That ain't natural. Nature itself teaches us God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Amen. That's just unnatural, unholy, and ungodly. And God said in the last days you're going to run into folk without natural affection. And what about the Episcopalians now? Come on. Oh, it's all right that got me a homosexual, be a priest over all those people and all that. Got his uh, little gay lover, ain't nothing gay about it. Amen. It's wicked and vile. Amen. 
Somebody said that the Episcopalians had quit playing chess. That's right. So they didn't know the difference between a queen and a king. Amen. And I say amen to that. You know, things that you used to not even have to preach or explain. You go down to the farm and figure all this out. I mean, even cattle know the difference. Amen. Dogs, hogs, ducks, all of that. We got a warped up wicked generation, my friend. Ungodly without any natural affection. He talks about truce breakers. They think absolutely nothing about breaking covenants and breaking truce. That's why we have such a divorce rate in this hour. They say, till death do I part. What they really meant was, till her teeth does her part, or does his hair does him part, amen, or his boyish figure does him part, or her beautiful face gets wrinkles in it. That's how long I get swapped her off for younger truce breakers, amen. Then incontinent, that means powerless, without self-control. Right. Oh, Flip Wilson, years ago, the devil made me do it. And start making excuses, you know. Without self-control, and we got a generation, people say, oh, they're just out of control, preacher. You know why? Because they're being controlled by sin. Amen. And then he talks about fierce. We got a fierce generation of sinners. You don't believe it, buddy. You said it that red line about a half a second longer than you ought to. It won't be long to somebody will be blowing. They won't toot their horn. They'll be blowing their horn. If you get behind somebody and they're uh, eating a McDonald's breakfast and drinking coffee and talking on the cell phone, and you just tap your horn, they may turn around and shoot you. We're living in a fierce job. They call it road rage, but it's just being blowed up and ready to uh, go off like a stick of dynamite. Amen. They're already set and ready to blow up fierce generation. It despisers of those that are good. Hostile. You, you don't have to do anything to have enemies in this house. You just do right. Be what God wants you to be. Do good. Live for God. And somebody's going to hate your guts. They'll call you everything under the sun. They won't even call you nice names anymore. He said that's a characteristic of the last day. And then he said traitors surrendering over to the enemy. Boy, we've seen traitors at Los Alamos and all that, finding all those nuclear secrets behind a water fountain. Hogwash. Chinese brain over there, my friend, nuclear physicist and all that, lose it behind the water fountain? No. Somebody's a traitor. We had a president in the office last go around as a traitor to our a lot of what we're reaping, I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican, a lot of what we're reaping right now is stuff he sold for eight years. He had opportunity after opportunity to take Ben Laden out and all this crap, and he wouldn't do it. He's too busy uh, messing around up the White House. Amen? Talking about traitors. we got traitors in the house of God turning their back on the things of the Lord. Vicious against the things of God and the men of God. Then he talks about heady. Heady, that means to have a big head, headlong, to be uh, ailing in the head. we got some folks sick in the head in this hour, amen? Talk about those that are high-minded. I looked that word up, and it literally means to envelop with smoke. <laughs> I 
that uh, that boat full of smoke, God said. That had to be full of smoke, you know. And we got folk that are full of smoke. If you don't believe it, just miss to some of these talk shows, man. People are just blow full of smoke. They're they're imagining things. Now don't you don't you saw up on me. Lovers of praise, you're more than lovers of God. How many folks we got around here tonight? Amen. Heaven I got a good crowd. The church is packed out. I thank God for that. But if this is all that showed up over at UT Saturday, it holds the door. It moves somewhere else. Amen. And let an NASCAR race have this small a crowd, and it closes the doors and forgets that we ain't even going to run tonight. Preacher passed the offering plate, take an extra offering up. People will hiccup and gag and cough and talk about that all the way home. And yet they'll go to the gate and pay 50 bucks and $5 for a cocoa. And pay $4 for a cup of uh, buttered popcorn that they'll swing to the right and swing to the left when they get excited. You say, you're against sport? No, I'm not. But God said, lovers of please, you're more than lovers of God. Amen. You go out there and sit on an old hard concrete bench. Surely you can come to the house of God and sit for a little while and get pissed. We've got a pleasure crazy society, and they'll go to the nth degree and every length to satisfy their craving for pleasure. But when it comes to God and the things of God, they think we're a bunch of fanatics for being in here on a Monday night. Amen. And then he goes on to talk about having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. He's talking about those that have the form. He's talking about false religion. They don't even have the form. He's talking about folk that know how to cross a T and dot an I, and they've at least got a, a semblance to uh, godliness. So they can operate just fine without the power of the Holy Ghost. Whether he shows up or he don't show, it don't matter to them. They got it all figured out, got it wrote down, so-and-so sings now, so-and-so shouts now, so-and-so blows his nose now. Preacher's got 15 minutes, you know, to give us 14 points a point and be able to say it all and not say nothing. And uh, they just, you know, just got it all programmed out and formula and all of these things. Forms of godliness but no power thereof. And then he said, These be they that creep in the houses, leading silly women captive. He said, They're a bunch of creeps and a bunch of sneaks. They don't blow their horn. The phosphate comes in. He never said, I'm going to take a William Bible from you and put doubts and shadows all over that. He never says that. He says, now, you know, I want to appeal to you that the finer manuscripts, uh, this passage of Scripture has uh, not been found in the uh, such and such manuscripts. And I'm not saying that it's supposed to be there now, but I'm highly, uh, I highly doubt that it should be there. And the translators and so and so and so and so. <laughs> I wonder how big God is. You reckon he's picking up the inspired Bible? I think he is. And if he's picking up the inspired, you reckon he's picking up the preserved? Oh, oh, God. Just couldn't hang on to what he had wrote down, you know. Just couldn't, couldn't get it where we... Amen. 
I'll tell you, these bunch of apostates coming in, they crept into our seminaries. They're in our fundamental seminaries, buddy. They deny the plain doctrines of the Word of God. They deny the truths of God. We need not fundamental seminaries across this country that if you say amen in chapel, you get demerit.
He says, you fully know my doctrine. You know what I believe, son. He said, you know my manner of life. I'm not a weekend warrior. I've given my heart and my all to him. There's one thing that I want to know, and that's more about Jesus to commit my life to him. You know my purpose, and that is that Christ Jesus be glorified, whether it be by life or by death, by preaching, by praying, whatever, that he be glorified. You know my faith, son, didn't always have the funds, didn't always have a clear signal, but I believe God, and you've seen God honor that faith. You've seen my long suffering. I didn't stop at the first little hymn of trouble, didn't slow down at the first person that stuck their tongue out at me. He said, Ezekiel, don't look at their faces. Preacher, I think maybe you ought to have them ten at a time sit on the platform up here behind you while you preach. Rotate it out so they can look back here and see the reaction of people's faces. I really, I quit looking at faces a long time ago. But sometimes I misjudge it. Maybe they just got the bellyache. I don't know. That, that might be what's happening. At least I hope that's what it is. You can get all kind of reactions and looks on faces. Amen. But he said, you know my long suffering. I didn't quit just because I got in a little opposition. You know my charity, Timothy. You watch. I didn't get the devil in me trying to get the devil out of them. Right, right. That's what happened, friend. Yeah. It's me as a junkyard dog. Christianity ain't Christianity at all. First Corinthians 13 will solve that mess. Amen. Just because the world gets mean don't mean God's people have a right to get mean and ornery and compactorous and go to raving and cussing in the name of the Lord. Say amen right there. He said, you know my charity, but Israel has stoned you. They have beat you five times with that cat of nine tails, Paul. That's the reason you're in jail right now. Do you not hate them, son? Oh, would to God. The God who let me be cursed, that my kinsmen in the flesh might be saved by the grace of God. My heart is full of continual sorrow. Now, you don't have that kind of love and that attitude without the power of the Spirit of God, or without a divine work of grace in your heart. He said, you have seen my patience bearing the load and staying under the load. Talk about persecutions, afflictions, and he names some locations that these happened in. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Son, it's been a rough road. But I want you to know with the rough road, God's been there to give me grace all along the journey. Boy, they've beaten whipped on me, but God's been there to love on me. When they've jailed me, God's given me joy. When they tried to boil me, God blessed me. When they've beaten me, God was there to pie of a sweet sad with a barbecue in him. When they put me in jail, God turned the jail cell to gold. And praise God, I felt like I was in Canaan land. When they kicked me out, they kicked me right into the arms of the loving Lord and Savior. Son, I haven't lost anything by suffering for the cause. Christ. Timothy, when you suffer, you just remember, you're not the first one to suffer. I talked to a pastor the other day, and he poured his heart out, and he said, Preacher, have you ever gone through that? 
I said, man, again and again and again. I said, you'll find that it's not something strange that happens to God's preachers or to God's people. That we all are in the same boat and we fight the same devil and have the same battles. No matter where we're at in the world, whether on the mission field, in the pastor, in evangelism, in the Sunday school department, working down here as a carpenter, serving faithful in the house of God, it doesn't matter. We're all going to have these persecutions because we are in enemy territory. Right. Amen. That's right. And then he goes on to say, Yea, and all that will live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, he talks about a third area of truth in verse 14 through verse number 17. And that is the grace-giving Word of God. The equipment for God's people. Sure, we've got enemies. In Paul, we see a great example. The Timothy Paul's going to be called out of here. So what are you left behind? You've left, you're left behind with the equipment that you'll need to fight any battle, face any foe, go through any day, walk through any deep battle. God said, I'm going to equip you and give you just what you need. John, I want to tell you something. You don't have to look way out yonder before you get it. Look what he says in verse number 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. And been assured of knowing of whom thou hast heard it, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scripture. He's saying, Son, what kept you in early days is the very thing that will keep you in elderly days. People think as I get older, maybe I need something new. Maybe I need to go looking for some new philosophy or something else. Oh, no. He said, you've known the Scriptures from a child. That word literally, a circling child. A little babe on his mother's breast. Your mama poured that Scripture in your ear. She quoted it to you. She read it to you. Even before you got here, son, your mama was praying over you. And she was reading the Word of God to you. And for a little baby, you had it burning your subconscious in your mind and in your heart. That very same scriptures what will sustain you in the days to come. Oh, David Livingston, he uh, got a New Testament when he was nine years old because on a Sunday he quoted Psalms 119 through three times with only five mistakes in three journeys through Psalms 119, the longest chapter in about his nine years old. There's something to be said about teaching our children the Scripture early in life. Amen. Don't expect somebody else to give it to them. You give it to them. Get them up in the morning. Get them ready for breakfast. Read them a Bible verse. Pray with them. Give them a verse to memorize. Oh, the preacher, they got so much, they don't have so much to do that they can't have that Word instilled in their hearts. Amen. Then look in verse number 16. He says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. He said, son, you've got the Scripture. And it's given by inspiration. Literally, God breathed. Oh, if I get off on the inspiration of the Scripture, we never will get out of here tonight. Amen. Now, God took 66 books, and yet it's not 66 books, it's one book. Twenty-some authors, and yet none of them were authors. They were just penmen of what God had written down. Many of them never read what the other wrote. They were raised in different ages and different times. 
some out of a rich man's background, some out of poverty, some out of great knowledge, some out of great ignorance. And yet God chose these men and poured through them the Holy Word. And when it was all canonized and put together there in about 70 uh, A.D., it fit together just like a glove, no part condemning the other, and no part contradicting the other, but fitting together with one testimony. And in the entire volume of this book, it had one person in and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And he said, it is profitable. What's it profitable for? It's profitable for doctrine. That is to show us what's right. It's profitable for reproof. That's to show us what is wrong. It's profitable for correction to show us how to get what's wrong right. And then it is profitable for instruction in righteousness how to keep things right. So everything you need is right here in this blessed old book. And he emphasizes in verse 17 the fact that everything we need is in that scripture by saying that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. You look the word truly furnished up. You study it. It's the same as the word complete. We're complete in Christ Jesus. And it has three pictures attached to it. Number one is a soldier that needs everything that uh, he has to have for the fight. The army supplies his needs. When we send soldiers to Iraq, we didn't say, now, boys, y'all better pack all the 22 shells you can get in your pocket, and you better hope Grandpa can send you some through the mail, because you're over there on your own. Oh, no. Praise God, we gave them GPSs, and we gave them satellite phones, whatever they needed, and all they had to do was call in the coordinates, and we'd send a million-dollar cruise missile and stuff it down the throat of one of those terrorists. Amen? Why? Backing them up. God help the nation that won't back their soldiers up. Vietnam, my friend, many times. That uncle that was in that war said they'd go take a hymn and then give it back the next week. Then go take it and give it back. Take it and give it back. And, uh, what a sorry way to fight a war. We're going to fight one. Throw the all to them. Throw the power to them. Throw the distrust. Give our men what they need to root them out and fight. God never has sent anybody out on the spiritual warfare without truly furnishing them with all that they need. He said he's taken the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And in this Bible, there is exactly what you need for every foe that you'll ever have to fight. Let me tell you this. You don't have to run out there and go to ever call the country. To be prepared to fight the good fight. You be familiar with this book, praise God. You have all the ammunition that you need to face any cult that there is. And if it don't line up with this scripture, it's counterfeit. You can take the Word of God and slice right into it. Amen. If we were more thorough students of this book, then we'd be more prepared for those that do err, knowing not the scripture, nor the power of God. Second uh, truth or picture is, is a shelter with all that one needs for housekeeping. You'll see houses for rent, and it'll say furnished or unfurnished. One that's furnished is truly furnished. All you got to do is just take your clothes and put them in the drawers. Got the uh, got the dressers there. 
Just got to put food in the cabinet, cabinets there, got a stove, refrigerator, washing machine, dryer, got every, got the chair, the couch, the bed. All you have to do is just move in and set up housekeeping. It's all right there for you. When you move into the household of faith, thank God, you don't have to drag your old furniture of an old life. God's got everything you need just to set up housekeeping, please, God. Are you hungry? Go to God's refrigerator. There's sweet manna there. Are you thirsty? Turn on the spigot. The sweet water of life comes from the eternal wells of God's amazing grace. Do you need some rest? Thank God there's a bed of peace and He gives His beloved sleep. What do you need tonight? It's right there already in this book. Then one of my favorite is this word thoroughly furnished means is a shift. 